<laughs> well, good morning. Uh, glad to see everybody this morning. Anybody here a movie fan? Just curious. I'm curious about my audience. Yeah, I love movies. And uh, typically, there are some of those actors that are always going to be typecast. You know what I mean? Uh, they're going to play the same role pretty much every time. Liam Neeson, if he's in a movie, you know he is uh, honing his skills that he used to have when he was young to save somebody um, unexpectedly. Um, or uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone. You can expect his character is not going to be an intellectual, <laughs> but the movie's going to be awesome. Um, personal opinion, maybe. But, I mean, you look at that, you can see some of these typecasts, and, and you know, oh, this actor's in it, I have to see it, or, or, or this actor's in it, and I cannot see it. Will Ferrell, it's going to be hilarious, but your kids can't go to it. Um, until you watch it first, and, and then we'll see. Like, Elf, that one's great. Um, now, I, I start that way to say, the church, to a certain extent, at least here in America, has been typecast. M meaning, you, you talk to a normal person, person on the street uh, about the church, and they have some ideas, you know, partly because of maybe the way movies have portrayed it and things like that, but some of it is accurate. I had a conversation with someone just this past week uh, about doing business with Christians, and the sentiment was Christians are the worst people to do business with, and that is really, really sad, but that's always been my experience as well. It's Christians that struggle with, with really representing Christ. Um, or I've heard this from waiters and waitresses, that the worst time to be uh, you know, on duty is right after church on a Sunday because Christians are the worst tippers. And, and those things, you know, we hear that, and that's a little bit frustrating because that's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what we see in Jesus. We see that, that the church and Christians are to be very, very different. And we're going to be looking in Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 3. And in Acts chapter 3, we really do get to see the heart of God. We see the heart of Jesus as he begins to move the church at the very beginning. So they're still in Jerusalem. And you see, this is really God's uh, method of moving his church. So that's kind of the, the tagline of today is, how does God move his church? Because we talk about this often here at Common Ground, that we are not really interested in religion. You know, that's one of our values here is sending capacity, not seating capacity. We're not interested, and I guess COVID helps that, but not really. Um, but, but our goal isn't to just fill a room. Our goal is to make a difference in the world for Christ. And if we can get there, you know, another one of our values is kingdom over castle. Meaning if something will be good for God's kingdom but bad for us as a church, we will choose what's best for the kingdom. Even if the day comes where that means we cease to exist for whatever reason, but if it's better for God's kingdom, then we're going to do that because that's what we're about. And I think as we look at this first miracle, we learn some things about God's heart and God's method for wanting to move his church. And that's what we want to be about. Again, we don't want to just be the, the frozen chosen. You know, we don't want to be in our holy huddle or whatever other religious term there is for it. We want to be used by God for great things in our own lives, absolutely, and then to those around us. And so we're going to see a picture here in Acts chapter 3. We're going to see this miracle, and we're going to see that this miracle points in four directions. And this miracle really is a kind of a, a picture of the rest of the miracles we'll see. And so if you understand this miracle, you will understand more of the rest of the miracles and what God is about. So hey, I'm just going to kind of catch you up. We're going to start in verse 12. 
But Peter and John, so again, they're in Jerusalem. Uh, Pentecost had happened. The Holy Spirit fell on 120 Jesus followers. They walked outside, spoke in other languages, shared the gospel. 3,000 people saved. Now, day by day, we already saw that. They're, they're doing their, their thing. They're living in community. They're worshiping God. And more people every day are being added to the church. More people are, are surrendering their lives to Christ. And here, Peter and John are going to the temple at about 3 in the afternoon, the time of prayer. So again, these are Christians, but they're still Jews. And we're going to see this later in Acts, where there's, there's going to be a clear split at some point. But these, these first Christians are, are, are Jews. And so they're still going to the temple. They're still going to to pray and worship God in the temple. So they're on their way. And as they go, there's a beggar. And this beggar is being carried and set down right at the gate. Uh, And this is what they would do, of course. You know, he's lame. He can't walk. And they would beg at the temple. Great place to beg, right? Because that's where all the religious people are going in. And they need to, you know, tithing and giving is, is part of the religion. So... He's begging there, and he asks Peter and John, you know, they come through, he wants some money, and it, it looks like his head is down, and he's, he does this, and, and Peter says, hey, look at me. And so the guy looks up, and he says, I don't have any money, but here's what I can do for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And he reaches down and grabs him by the hand. Now, this is somebody over 40 years old, lame since birth. So picture those legs. I mean, no muscle on, you know what I mean? Maybe you've seen pictures or, or you've known people. Those legs were, were gone. They were just sticks, never been used, couldn't even move them probably. And here he, he grabs him by the hand and picks him up. And the man, does, he, he doesn't do this. Whoa, awesome. It says he starts running around and jumping and leaping. So he goes from can never walk in his life and he's over 40 years old, to jumping and skipping, you know what I mean? Like, can I touch that? You know, run, look, at, I mean, just picture this guy running back and forth. And he, they go into the temple, and he'd been begging there for years and years, so everybody in there knew him, because they saw him every day as they walked into the temple. And here he is running by. So just picture that. You're coming to do your worship thing. Like, who's running in the temple? It's that guy. It's the guy that we've seen. And so obviously everybody gets kind of excited and they, and they follow him and they come to Peter and John. So the guy's now kind of clinging to them. And this miracle brings people around to where Peter can share the second message. But again, we're going to see this miracle kind of does point in four directions. Let me begin reading in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To these we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer He has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, and whatever he tells you, And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham and in all your offspring and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Lord Jesus, I I ask for insight, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten our hearts to what you did this day and how that applies to us today. Because not only did it happen then, and it had significance, but you then had Luke write this down so that we could read it today. Meaning, as you say elsewhere, all scriptures inspired and profitable meaning we can profit from this here and now. I pray that you would give us insight, that we would understand, and and if our hearts need to change, that you would change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So this miracle points in four directions. The first, it points upward. This miracle points upward to God's authentication of Jesus. You know, miracles here, they are God's validation of the messenger. You know, if somebody is coming and bringing a new message, and we see this throughout Scripture, a new message, often it is authenticated by the miracles. Uh, Back in Isaiah 35, we see this. Isaiah 35, uh, this is Isaiah, he's a prophet, he refers to the prophets, and he's speaking of later when, when... Times will come, the end will come, basically, and we've been in the end times now since Jesus. Um, but pointing toward to that day, in Isaiah, verse, Isaiah 36, 5, he says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And he goes on here to to talk about the refreshing, to talk about what will happen in the end. And so here you see this miracle is an authentication that this is the prophet promised from of old. This, Jesus, not not Peter and John, because they're giving all the glory to Jesus. It was Jesus that healed, not Peter and John. And so this miracle authenticates Jesus and this message. I mean, can you imagine that? I'll bet somebody in that crowd was like, you guys remember Isaiah? You know, the lame will leap like a deer, and then they look over, and here's this guy probably leaping around, jumping around. I mean, the picture was right there. The, the message was this. Listen to what's about to be said. And the people did. After this, thousands more are saved. So we have 5,000 men total at the end of this message saved. And it, it refers just to the men because that's kind of easier to count. But there was arguably 10,000 or more believers at this point. In Jerusalem, there's arguably, I mean, you can study it, 40,000 people living there. That's a big movement. So this miracle has a purpose saying, listen to what's about to be said. It authenticates the messenger. And he's going to say in here, if you don't listen to Jesus, you'll be cut off from your people. You know, we, we, 
are in a time where some people will struggle with miracles. You know, they struggle with the idea because with, if evolution is true and all this, everything's natural, you know, and we have to depend on that. And so miracles are denied, but yet we look at Scripture and you see these miracles. And if you're going to believe in God in the Bible, you have to believe in miracles. Because at the very beginning, what was it? God, who was the only thing that existed, spoke and created with the Word. That's a miracle. So if you deny miracles, you actually deny all of Scripture. And if there are no miracles, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then as Paul says, we're still in our sins. And so here, it's, it's fine and dandy for us to accept miracles because obviously they happened. If we believe Scripture, we must believe uh, that miracles can happen. And so here, it points to God. That's what this miracle does. But number two, this miracle points forward to God's future restoration. I really like this. Because in Isaiah, you see the promise, when that day comes, the lame will leap like a deer. And the rest of that passage talks about the restoration that's going to happen. You know, the, the pain will be gone. Uh, the, the, the lion will lie down with the lamb. It will be restored back to what it's supposed to be. Do you know that the world right now is not the way it was originally designed to be? You messed it up. I messed it up. We, we met, this was not God's original design. It was his original plan because he knew what was going to happen. And so he planned for Jesus from the beginning. So all this is part of his plan. But the original design, there was not pain, suffering, and death. Sin brought in pain, suffering, and death. And so this healing, here's a, a man, lame, broken, just like we're all broken, you know, and we've all endured pain, and, and he, he heals them, pointing forward to the future complete healing. You got any problems? <laughs> Physical, spiritual, go down the list. Guess what? When Jesus returns, he's going to heal all of that perfectly. And so this points forward to the future restoration. You know, God heals, I think this is cool, to return things to the natural order. Because this wasn't God's original design. Pain, suffering points to our need. It points to our lack. It points to something is not right. And we know it, right? I mean, somebody gets cancer, and it's not like, oh, that's just part of life. It, it is, unfortunately, but it's not supposed to be that way. You know, a cancer is a cell that's been mutated, changed into something it's not supposed to be. That's this whole world. Uh, uh, I refer to this often with the fall. Goat heads. Not part of the original design. I, I hope, because they have no purpose except for flattening tires. You know, but, but the whole world, uh, if you don't know what a goat head is, because you're from California, I've seen some faces like, what's a goat head? They're those really horrible thorns, and they're like this long, and they'll pop every bike tire. You know, if you've ever had a bike, that's why you have to get the the solid ones if you go off-roading. But in the future, those will be gone. God's going to restore. And so this miracle points to the hope. And then he goes on, and I really like this, verse 20. Verse 19, he says, repent. We'll come back to that. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Because Jesus died for him on the cross. He covered them, meaning our sins are not seen. Here's the question. You know, when you're saved, how many sins will God bring up to you in the end? Zero. Zero. They're blotted out, meaning he's not going to bring them up. And, you know, before that, we've got this nice long list of all of our sins. Some of us list might be longer than others, but they're all way too long. When we accept what Jesus did on the cross, they are blotted out. 
you know, it, not just erased. You know, you know, old pencils, you erase, it's never fully gone. Blotted out, like ink, just thrown all, it's gone. But the result of that, verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow. Just think about that. That times of refreshing may come. You know, we have our prayer time every Sunday before the service, about half an hour ago, and we were praying, and this was kind of a theme that came up several times. We need some refreshing, don't we? I mean, people are hurting. People are bro- we need this refreshing, and this refreshing can happen for you right now. God can give this right now, but fully it won't come till later. We're still in these bodies. Sin still inhabits this world. It's still broken. But when he returns, and that's what he talks about, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, he's coming back. And so we look forward. This miracle points forward to Jesus' return, complete restoration. So hang on a little longer. He's coming back. But this leads to the third point. This miracle points inward. It points upward, it points forward, it points inward to every person's need of spiritual healing. That was another great point. I I mean, this is such a perfect illustration, isn't it? This man is lame and he's broken and he's up and running and, and then the message is basically, okay, you see this example, you're also lame and broken spiritually. You know, you you can't walk spiritually. You can't even try your hardest to walk spiritually. You need to be healed. And here this man, completely lame, instantly can walk, instantly completely healed. That's that's, kind of how God does the healing thing. It's always instantaneous and complete. And so he heals him. And that's the point of this miracle is to point then to the message that spiritually all are broken. You know, in Ephesians, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, that we are dead. Ephesians chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 1 through 5, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not broken, not just broken, not needing a little bit of help, but dead. And we need life. Jesus gives that life. Anybody have any physical pain? (laughs) How about other pain? You know, this guy was lame. He had kind of given up on the walking thing, I think. He thought money was going to be his answer. He needed money. You know, he needed to eat. And so he thought money was going to be the answer. They gave him something even better, walking. But what's better than even walking? You, you, most of us in here can walk. You ever felt pain? Being able to walk doesn't solve all the issues. It's the spiritual healing that's even greater than any physical healing. So that's the third one. Everybody's need. You know, kind of quick point as I look at this, this puts us all in the same boat. You know, we're going to talk about this coming up uh, in the next couple weeks, but we're all in the same boat in need of spiritual healing. You know, Christians, you know, none of us are better. It's not like we're enlightened or smarter. In fact, as you look through Scripture and even history, you know, God chooses the, the not so bright. You know, look who's standing on stage. You know, he... he, he Look who God chooses. He, he doesn't go find the elite. You know, the elite can be saved too, absolutely. But the, this movement has always been a movement of just normal people. And they say this here when he says, why are you guys marveling as if by our godliness or piety he's healed? It's not because there's anything special about us. It's Jesus. Now here's the fourth one. 
This miracle points outward to God's method of reaching the lost. This miracle points outward. What do I mean by that? You see here, and again, this is kind of the title of, of, of God's method of moving his church. You see here God's servants, Peter and John, they go, they heal this man, and what's going to happen immediately after? They're going to be arrested. They're going to be arrested. So, so they do a good thing, and it's going to cost them. God's method of moving his church, of moving salvation, is that it will cost his followers. And should that surprise us? I, I, where did our salvation come from to begin with? It cost God everything. God took on flesh. Jesus went to the cross. So there's this, this exchange that God gave to us. Jesus took our place, suffered the, the death we should have died to give us the life he deserved. There's always this, this exchange or substitution. You know, one voluntarily suffers so another can be healed. And I refer to this, and this goes back to, to the beginning, the typecast. We as a church have been typecast. And I'm not saying it's always right, but I am saying we have the, the privilege to change that view. But the, the typecast, you know, that it's about us. You know, a lot of times people aren't happy when a church comes in because the church is about itself or Christians are about themselves. And I'll be honest, my time in business, that's what I experienced. It was the Christians that wanted the deal. It was the Christians that you needed to get payment up front from more than others. And it's sad, but we can change that because that's not who we are. Because here we see it costs us something. It costs them. And God's method here is it costs, but he brings healing. So in that cost, he's bringing healing. He's giving something. You know, this gives us a, a picture of suffering. You know, this man here that was healed, he wasn't the only lame beggar. There were others. But he's the one that was healed. Not all the rest were healed. Why is that? We see another time where the disciples are with Jesus. And there's a blind man. And they say, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. He's born this, he was this way so that God could be glorified in him. Do you realize that's one of God's great purposes for suffering? This man was born lame. Why? This kind of gives me chills. Because God had a plan that 40 some years later, he was going to be sitting in front of a temple and Peter and John would go and Jesus would heal through them. This was God's plan that he would leap like a deer. I mean, this, this man was going through his whole life lame. I wish I could walk not knowing that he was going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah. You know, that in that day, the lame will leap like a deer. Can you imagine that? Did he ever vain to hope for that? Maybe that will be me. But then he got it. He got to go leap like a deer. God uses suffering in different ways, either to heal it and bring glory to himself, but often he uses pain, and this is in your note, God uses pain and suffering for his glory and for the salvation of souls. But sometimes it's not by relieving it. Sometimes it's by us going through it. God glorifies himself by us suffering well. And if you read your Christian history, sometimes it's through his people dying well. All the disciples, every single one except for John. John was, was excommunicated and he was sent to an island to finish out his life. But the rest were all murdered violently with swords, crucified. Some were beheaded. 
Sometimes God glorifies himself by healing suffering. Sometimes God glorifies himself by helping his people suffer well. Let me say this. How much you understand the gospel is measured by your joy in the midst of pain. Think about that. How much you understand the gospel can be measured by your joy in the midst of pain. Imagine this. You're at home. uh, you, You get a letter, and it says, your great uncle who you never knew just died. And he's, he's giving you $5 billion. All you have to do is drive to the bank and cash the check. And what are you going to do? You're going to go get in your car and you're going to drive to the bank, probably singing the whole way. But say you're driving to the bank and you get about five miles away and you get a flat tire. And you pull over and you realize you got two flat tires. You're like, oh, I can't fix it. What, what are, are you going to kick the car and be like, God hates me. I can't believe this. You know, why doesn't God do anything good for me? No, you'd probably just go, heck with the car, and skip all the way to the bank, right? I mean, that's kind of this picture. In the end, we get Jesus. We get God. We have him now, but in the end, it's all going to be perfected. And so now, we can endure the, the pain and the suffering looking toward that. And God can use us in our pain and suffering to glorify himself. I I mean, I've heard recent stories uh, of people struggling with something and then hearing somebody else struggling with something way greater, but doing it with faith. And then these are encouraged. We can have faith too. And then even those outside that see. And that leads to to the next point of, of God's method here is Jesus and his disciples often brought healing. They brought something. You know, Jesus would feed. He would heal. He would cast out a demon. You know, this method of moving his church along, of moving people toward him, often is by bringing healing through his church, through his people. And this is where I think we as a church can change the typecast. Is our community glad that we're here? Do we bring healing? You know, again, we've started this I don't even know the right term, bless initiative. That sounds horrible. <laughs> but, but this bless strategy, this idea that we're here to bless those around us. No ulterior motives, except for their salvation. But even if they don't turn to Christ, we continue to bless them. Our community should be so glad that we're here. Our community should say, we not, might not believe what Common Ground believes, but we're so glad they're part of our community. You know, we... Ha- God, by God's grace, we've had some of these relationships. You know, the, the Indian Hills GID, some of you live down there. Uh, we began trying to build a relationship down there and serve. And at first, it was kind of like this, like, Ooh, what do you Christians want from us? <laughs> you know, a little bit of it. We're going to keep it arm's length and sure, you can help us with this. Now, whenever they have stuff, they call, I think they call Katie. Katie, <laughs> can you guys show up? Hey, we've got this Christmas thing. Can you help staff it? Hey, we've got this movie in the park we want to do. Can you guys come do that? So we get the calls. Hey, we know that you're going to show up and help. You know, the, the foster care system, Alex and Kelsey are awesome with what they're doing there. And Kelsey was approached and said, hey, we've heard that your church might be the part that might want to help. Do you want to do the angel tree thing? You know, helping give kids to, to or give gifts at Christmas to foster kids. I asked Alex, what, how did that go down? He's like, I don't really know fully. But I, I hope it's because word is starting to spread. That's a church that cares about the community. That's a church that's going to show up for us. That's how we can change this typecast. And even you and me, how do you tip? If they know you're a Christian, you better tip really, really well. And Sherry's offended by that, so she's walking out. 
You know, if you're doing business and people know you're a believer, even more so, you represent Jesus. Pay on time. You know, if you're, if you're doing the work, do it as best as you can. Be the best employee, whatever it is. We can change this typecast. Now, we're going to uh, move to communion. This is our time of remembering what Jesus did. But as we do, I think we have three applications. And here's the first one. If you realize you're like the lame man, but you're spiritually still lame, here's the good news. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you, and he wants to restore you. You know, this, this time of refreshing and restoration, it's possible now for you because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And there's nothing you need to do to earn it. Just like this man didn't earn the ability to walk. It was a free gift. Salvation is a free gift to you. And the way you receive it is by, verse 19, repenting. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That's it. Turn to Jesus for salvation. I'm going to be in the back. If you want to come talk, I'd love to talk to you or pray with you. You know, for the rest of us, as we remember Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, come up and, and take the cup, take the bread. We're doing it, I call it COVID style, and it's a little weird because you've got to peel the, the cracker in the top and then peel the other one, but you'll figure it out. Um, but as you do it, we're remembering Jesus' death on the cross. You know, Jesus instituted it at the Lord's Supper, and he said, I'm doing this, and you do this in remembrance of me until I come again. So even this, we're looking back to what Jesus did, looking forward to him coming again. And again, this is for believers. So if you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord, no big deal, no judgment, but don't take it. Maybe come talk to me. If you have some questions, I'd love to talk to you. But then as we do this also, consider your own suffering. Do you need a perspective change on your own suffering? Is the way that you are suffering bringing glory to God right now or not? And then the third one is how are others suffering that we can enter in and bring healing in the name of Jesus? So let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the healing that you bring. God, uh, we know that you continue to heal. God, we know those who have surrendered to you and, and uh, addictions have been completely broken instantaneously. Some, it takes a little more time, but you continue to heal. God, we do ask for healing, and it's okay to ask for healing. God, I pray if anybody in here is suffering emotionally or physically, spiritually, that they would ask you to heal, and I ask that you would hear their prayer, and God, that you would grow their heart, and maybe if you want some of us to suffer well to bring glory to you, that you would give us that. You know, give us the encouragement, give us the comfort that we would suffer well, and you get the glory for it. Or God, I pray that some of us, you would, you would heal the suffering and bring glory to yourself. God, we're going to remember what your son did on the cross. We're going to remember Jesus. You died and you rose from the dead. Forgive us for our sins. We haven't arrived yet, but we are whole in you because of what you have done. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.